Hey everyone, it's David. Before we start the episode, I wanted to share with you a great opportunity to get a real listen to one of our recording sessions. For our Patreon supporters, we've posted this episode with no edits and no revisions at patreon.com slash expiration date. It's a chance to listen to the real Michelle and David. If you're not yet a Patreon partner, you can sign up there or click the link that's located in the episode description. We post photos, additional content, and like this, some fun behind-the-scenes material. Michelle and I work hard to bring you well-researched, professional-style content in hopefully an enjoyable form. We hope you will join and take advantage of all the extras we have to offer. Now to the episode, Land of the Free. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 8 of Expiration Date. I'm David. And I'm Michelle. We're glad you're here. Today we're going to be talking about the 13th Amendment and prison labor. I'm going to try to be brief this episode because I know we've been going long on the last few episodes. Apparently that's my fault. Apparently that's David's fault because he's very long-winded. Um, <laughs> sorry, this episode's really sad, so I'm trying to be I'm trying to be uplifting. I've heard that we need to one of the criticisms that we've gotten feedback. is one of the feed the, well, some of the feedback that we have gotten is that it's a little heavy yeah. on the sadness. Knock, knock. We need to lighten it up a little bit. So David's going to tell a joke. Knock, knock. Who's there? Interrupting cow. <laughs> Interrupting cow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have one. Knock, knock. Who's there? Capitalism. <laughs> and then they just too. kill you. <laughs> the joke is over. Uh, have you seen those dad jokes competitions? Where they sit there. Oh, where they try not to laugh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. As most of my friends and family have noticed, I recently downloaded TikTok because I've been sending a lot of people TikTok. So if I've sent you a TikTok, that's my new love language. You, you've sent me several. Multiple. Yeah. TikToks. It's a lot. It's okay. a lot. It's good. Uh, it's good information. It's a lot of kids doing a lot of things. It's great. But yeah, they have those on TikTok. How else what the digital trends are if you're not on exact, TikTok? Exactly. Because who's got to get a bucket and a mop? Yeah. I don't have time to listen to the music the of... Music children you know and sometimes they're doing some great stuff like taylor swift is doing really well taylor swift is she's kind of awesome yeah she seems to just be doing great hmm. she's anyway i forgot where i was going with that oh yeah you, the, the, they do the dad jokes oh yeah mm -hmm. yeah sorry we're filling in because uh david was supposed to watch a documentary about our times that he did not watch and so we're not gonna be able to discuss it but if you've watched bo burnham's inside and you want to talk to me about it text me before we get into the meat of this episode, I really want to recommend the documentary The 13th on Netflix. It gives a really detailed summary about how prison labor started in this country based on the 13th Amendment to the Constitution and how it led to things like convict leasing and the explosion of prison labor um, and how deeply the American economy is tied with that and how deeply the civil rights movement is tied with it and everything. It, does, it just gives a really great summary. And so just the stuff that we just don't have time to get into on this episode. So, David, if I say I'm going to become a vegetarian and I'm going to abolish meat from my diet, but I still ate meat like around two million-ish times a year, would you say that I'm a vegetarian? Not by the classical definition, no. Because mm -hmm. so you would say that like, even though I called myself that, even though I said 
I'm abolishing meat from my diet if I continue to eat meat several million times a year, I would not be a vegetarian. That's correct. Okay. So the 13th Amendment to the Constitution... What, is there anything else that goes yes. on with the vegetarian thing? Yes, it does. That's what I'm, I'm, ty- I'm tying things in, David. Okay, okay. I'm tying them in. It's a web that I'm collecting. I've had a lot <laughs> You're of You're spinning caffeine. a web. I'm spinning a web. <laughs> it's going to make sense. So when people say that the 13th Amendment to the Constitution abolishes slavery, it's very similar to calling me a vegetarian in that prior scenario. And a lot of people say, well, why did we have to have the 13th Amendment after slavery ended when Abraham Lincoln emancipated the slaves in 1865 and then news very slowly traveled around the country and then slavery actually officially ended in 1960? We have... um, 1860? 1960. 1960? Yeah, there was a plantation that was running until 1960. So when you say it takes a long time to... Travel, you mean like it took it a while, 90 years? Yeah, it took it a while to get around. Sorry, I thought you, oh, just, you're fine. I thought you misspoke, <laughs> <laughs> but you did not. I wish, I wish that I had. Yeah, so the 13th Amendment to the Constitution is called the abolition of slavery. However, once we get through this episode, you'll see that calling it the abolition of slavery is about as accurate as calling me a vegetarian. We had to have an amendment to the Constitution. Because even after Abraham Lincoln emancipated the slaves, much of slavery was indoctrinated into our Constitution. So in 1865, uh, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution changed what is colloquially referred to as like the Fugitive Slave Act. In Section 1, they amended the Constitution to say, neither slavery nor individual servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States, or any place subject to their jurisdiction. You may ask yourself, why did they say it like this? Why did they put the caveat for prisoners to still be enslaved? And it's because this country is built on the free labor of black people, and it was too lucrative to discontinue. It is the original sin of American labor. We are built on slavery. Many white Americans have romanticized the view of the Civil War and of Lincoln, but this clause was included so that we could continue to have access to free labor, because if we have slavery, we can have poor labor rights, and that is very good for business. Now that we talked a little bit about how we got here, let's talk about modern-day slavery and what it looks like and who profits from it. Prison labor is a huge part of the American economy. Prison labor is a multi-billion dollar a year industry. They work on farms. They put out fires. They work in food. They work in factories. They work in prisons. They work on the roads. They work in fields. You know, like slaves do. In many places, Arkansas, they are not compensated at all in some cases. In many places, Arkansas, the labor can be compulsory. That is not in every state. In some places, the work is quote-unquote optional, but If you coerce somebody with a reduced sentence or they need those wages to get basic survival needs, that is also coercion. In some places, the work is compensated, but we are not talking about minimum wage. They can make cents per hour of labor. And in many cases, more than they have goes back into the prison industrial complex itself for basic needs, food, medicine, hygiene, and human interaction. How is this not just slavery that moved around a little bit? So when people ask me, when did the United States abolish slavery? It didn't. And I'm not saying that to be inflammatory 
or trying to get a rise out of people. I'm just saying it because it's true. It's very clear in our Constitution that we did not abolish slavery. We just moved it. A lot of people like to watch shows like The Lord God Bird or any Denzel movie from the 90s and think, I would have been a remarkable ally. I would have been a great abolitionist. Do not imagine that you would have been an abolitionist then if you are not one now. And make peace with the fact that you're on the wrong side of history. We did not abolish slavery. We just changed it a little bit. I know it is easy for privileged white people to view this as a distant problem, and I know that I bring this up a lot, but the U.S. makes up 5% of the world's population and 25% of the prison population of the world. So if you gathered up every single prisoner on the planet Earth right now and put them in a giant room and started to interview them, one out of every four people that you talked to would be from the United States. Land of the free indeed. I want you to expound on this some more, right? Because this is something that is gaining in popularity, right? Mm -hmm. A couple of things that really stood out in my mind was when you said, if you're not an abolitionist now, you wouldn't have been an abolitionist back then, which I think is an interesting comment. However, why do you think we're still having this conversation 100 years later? I'm sorry, 150 years later. Well, I think that, you know, one of the things that is really important to American businesses is to be able to exploit their employees. And when you have a healthy slave population, that is much easier to do. So if I came up to you and said, like, hey, I'm a prison abolitionist. I want to stop forcing imprisoned people to do labor. However, I do understand that if prisoners wanted to do some kind of work program, that that could be an option for them, but I want them to have minimum wage. And most of the time what people say to me is, that is ridiculous. I don't want them to have minimum wage. Teachers barely make minimum wage. And I think you should, and a lot of people say that, and I get what you're saying. However, that is also a problem that teachers make minimum wage. And the reason that you can have something like that's so important to the health of the population be so exploited is because you have a significant number of exploited prisoners. Let me ask you another question, though. And this is not specific to this episode, but kind of gleaned from a lot of the content is it's around accountability for consequences, Mm -hmm. right? So a lot of what you speak and advocate for is the education on how prisoners are not treated with basic human rights and are marginalized and are, are, are treated subhuman way. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you that that, that doesn't sit well, especially for a country who claims to be one of the best and fairest in the world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely not mm-hmm. something that can be reconciled. However, what is the idea or how does accountability for actions play into that? What's a fair punishment? What's a fair punishment? Well, and, and, and I it, hesitate to use the word punishment, yes. right? But consequences of actions. Yes. And I think there is a reason that you hesitate to use the word punishment. I think because you're a good person And I think that a part of you, even though you probably haven't listened to the material on it, a part of you would believe 
that we need to get away from the punishment-based narrative for prisons. So in a lot of other developed nations, they do things like restorative justice instead Mm -hmm. of punishment-based justice. And a lot of people are like, if somebody kills my kid, I want them to be punished. I want them to hurt. And I get, I understand that. I understand. I have a child. I understand where you're coming from. However, if you look at people who are in victims' rights groups, this punishment-based system does nothing for them. They are not advocates for it. And most of the organizations in the United States that are focused on restorative justice are started by victims of crimes Mm -hmm. because they understand something that a lot of people who've never been the victim of a violent crime understand. And that's when someone dehumanizes you by attacking you or hurting you or robbing from you or breaking into your car, the need to dehumanize them back is not very satisfying in the end. And what if the 15-year-old who broke into your house and stole some of your medicine from your grandma or whatever is him spending 10 years behind bars and never being able to contribute to society again because he's a felon, is that really worth it? Is that justice? Is that justice? Or what if he had to join a program where, you know, he worked with old people that needed pain medicine? Or had the opportunity to sit down. And I've done a little bit of restorative justice research and just some of my dealings with, and it's a hard thing to pull off. But it is a very transformative method of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's too like, and a lot of people think, well, like, what about victims of violence or sexual assault? Like, what they don't want to meet with their attacker? Well, no, but so you, you have to have some nuance about it, and you have to, it has to be case based, and it has to be right. like heavily listened to from victims of crimes and also former criminals, which our system does not do. I think you you mentioned a very good point. It has to be case-based. And case-based situations take a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. And it's so much easier to blanket, apply some sort of policy based in fear Mm -hmm. that doesn't give credence to both the victim or the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what the right word is. Victim or the... Well, and I think because we've spent the last, the hour-long episode that we did last week and then our seven minute episode this week, we did a lot of talking about how much money is in this system, how much money billions and billions of dollars are in this system. It's one of the most economically beneficial things to several companies. What if some of that money was diverted? Like what if, and that's the point, right? Like your, your purpose, correct me if I'm wrong is to shine light on the fact that this is not about healing or mm-hmm. punishment or consequences or mm-hmm. whatever it is that we think we have this in our mind of what jails and prison is, but this is a systemic issue of corporations, what, making money exploiting at the expense people. of people, exploiting yeah. people. Because they can, because embedded in our constitution is the fact that you can treat people who are convicted of a crime not even necessarily a criminal, but people who are convicted of a crime, you can make them slaves. And as long as we have that here, there will never be justice. Mm. And if we continue to do this, it is only going to grow because so many people make so much money off of it that it is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. 
And it's already the biggest in the world. And I know I harp on that every episode, but it's really important. Like, this is unbelievably large. This episode does a good job of supplementing and supporting some of the other episodes we've mm-hmm. we've brought and how and why it it works out to be that prison industrial complex like you're, mm-hmm. like you call it. Well, and so I think that it's hard because it, it, you do have to have if somebody says like, hey, I'm a prison abolitionist. Most people think so you don't think we should lock anyone up and people can just commit crimes rampantly. And no, that's not what prison abolition is. It is something very different. And I understand why people say that because they don't. It's not a well-defined term. I do believe that we should not be able to have slaves. I do believe that we should move to a restorative justice narrative rather than a punishment narrative. And I do believe that we should start listening to victims of crimes. And those people tend to agree with me on this. Mm -hmm. And at the risk of offering solutions, I know we don't do that. This is just an information exchange. But sometimes it's important to know what we're talking about and define terms a little bit. It's also good to know what else is out there because if, if we're not exposed to alternatives, I don't even call them solutions, but if we're not exposed to alternatives, mm-hmm. then we don't know. Just like we're trying to expose people to some underlying mm-hmm. tenets of the, the prison systems here. Well, and it's hard. It's hard for people to know what to advocate for because nobody wants somebody to be able to hurt a child and then have no consequences for it or somebody to be able to hurt someone else and, you know, because that's... Yeah, the social pressures that we receive if we advocate for changing the prison system can be intense. And one thing I would like to say is I have had in the all of the feedback that I've received, and it's been enormous, which I love. I, w- I really want feedback from everybody on this, but I feel like that I have had one person legitimately criticize or critique what I'm saying and how I could mention something else or criticize the content of the episode. Hey, you need to cover this more. Hey, you need to do this more. The rest of it has been, I don't agree with what you're saying. What you're saying is wrong. What you're saying is immoral. What you're saying is racist. They do not mean racist against people of color. They mean racist against white people. And that if I just don't like the country, then I should leave. And so what, we're, what the stuff that we're saying is not, even though it kind of sounds, we're making it sound all polished and everything, but when you say this to people in conversation, they will shut it down. Right. And one thing I appreciate about you is how this comes with diligent research and it's not, you know, your musings or wanderings. You can back it up with information. Hopefully. If you catch me after I just wrote the episode, if it's been a while Give me a minute to reread some stuff. Well, that's why we do. <laughs> and that's why we do the resources in the episode, so that the people who listen mm-hmm. and disagree, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if you listen and disbelieve, you have the opportunity to check it out. Right. And if you if you do disagree with anything I said about like the amendment itself, like that, I just read it verbatim from like the Constitution gov. Like it's not. I didn't make up any of that. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that the episode was worthwhile. And I know this one was really brief. And the next one might be a little bit complicated because we're going to talk about the trial, like what happens when you actually go to trial, when you have your day in court, which, as we've talked about before, is like 4% of cases. Uh, Most people plead out. And about how people make money off of that system, 
private corporations make money off of that system and how forcing the court to go to trial can be incredibly punitive. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash expiration date. You can email us at expirationdatethepodcast at gmail.com and follow us at Twitter at expirationdatethepo. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one.